Hi everyone, welcome to the Music Teacher Survival Guide by Musico. I'm Dr. Nick Parnell. Today's episode is part two of my interview with Matt Kloss on how to get the most out of your school band. We pick it up where Matt is chatting about mental health of band directors and issues around burnout, and then we go on to some more tips on how to really improve your band. Hope you enjoy it. Every really good conductor that I've come across in my life has had a conducting mentor or a teacher. Um, and teaching and mentoring are different things. Your audience is educated enough to know the difference. Um, but I, I think it's really important that we have somebody that there in our lives that can help push us forward, can help us solve challenges, can help us um, deal with the mental health and well-being aspect of being a band director as well. Talk about that a little bit, the mental health aspect of okay. it. Okay. Um, I see a lot of burnout. I see a lot of, and I mentioned briefly, and uh, forgive me, I was probably perhaps a little glib before saying, you know, band directors work 10 hours a week more than they're paid for. But we, you and I know that. Well, there's that a reason a why this is called the Music Teacher's Survival Guide. Yeah. Because it's sometimes for music teachers, I'm sure it does feel like they are yeah. in just the process of surviving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, week nine is hell of every term. You know, the running joke in Perth is that you don't even, you don't do anything socially in term three. You just don't go there. There's, there's 11 weeks of the year where you can't even ring a friend because yeah. <laughs> they won't answer <laughs> the phone sort of thing. Um, look, I, I think it's difficult because schools and administrations have a lot to achieve on limited budgets. But the amount of time that it takes to be a good band director and to understand the learning that needs to be done as well as the personal professional development that needs to be done, time to listen and consider lots of repertoire, that needs to be done. And then little Janie or little Johnny comes up two minutes before rehearsal and says, oh, a screw just fell out of my clarinet, miss. And so you're there with a screwdriver while you're trying to get the percussion kids set up. Or, you know, we all kind of know this, this wacky routine. I think the key to the mental health and well-being is to have a network of people that you can talk to. Or have someone that you can debrief with. We're very good in, in particularly in Australian society, of saying to people if, if they've had a bereavement or they've been involved in a traffic accident or some sort of trauma, um, we're very good at saying, "Hey, have you reached out? You, you, know, you really maybe give me a call. Let's have a chat." But well, I think we need to apply that theory to the everyday life. You know, I'm a band director. You're a band director. We should just have a chat every now and then. Pick up the phone. And go, hey, hey, Nick, how you going, mate? It's week eight. You know, you're feeling all right. How you going? Um, if you haven't got five minutes for a beer, have you got five minutes for a chat? Or, hey, Nick, I'm feeling really struggling at the moment. Can, can I bend your ear for an hour? I just want to have a vent. You know, we can, we can support each other much more than we do. The idea that we have to be bulletproof and we have to all be super superhuman people that wear our undies on the outside forever and ever and ever until we fall to bits and break at the age of 45 is... Um, it, it, that just needs to evaporate. Is that something that's become uh, more on the radar in the military bands and things like that? Or is there, um, is there any programs in place in your experience in the Navy bands that have addressed those kind of issues? Yeah. Um, the, look, the military bands have a really strong, almost inbuilt network because people who are conducting, particularly the conductors, are, are such a small group. And, but we have a very strong sense of shared experience. We've all been through exactly the same training. We've all worked in exactly the same conditions. The journey from walking in the door as a recruit musician on your instrument to becoming a lieutenant band officer or a captain band officer um, is fairly similar. 
yeah, there's some variations on a theme, but fundamentally you have to do X amount of time and then you decide you want to be a conductor and then you'll nominate for that, you'll audition, you'll go through the training. So we, we sort of do talk to each other a lot about mental health and wellbeing. Um, the advantage is that we work very closely together with the same people every day. So if I'm starting to really struggle, my second-in-command would have seen that and would come and knock on the door and say, hey, boss, you, you're doing all right? Can I, can I help you out a bit extra today? Or, you, know, you don't seem your happy self, mate. What's going on? Hmm. I think we that, have those conversations I think that's a, fairly ex- comfortably. Yeah, I, I think that's a, an challenge as well for uh, music tutors who are taking instrumental lessons because typically they will work in a number of different schools of in, or env- environments. And um, I know... Um, a couple of guys who even though they're moving through schools they'll often be in touch a lot on text messaging just just you know just sort of saying how how's your day going you know as a way of feeling part of a i guess you know a group of of the same type of people you know doing the same kind of work and i I know for those people they've found that quite helpful Hi everyone, Dr Nick Parnell here. Just a quick note for our Australian listeners that the Nick Parnell Percussion Academy is now hiring out high quality vibraphones and marimbas for personal hire for school students as well as for schools. To order online or find out more, please check out nickparnell.com. Thanks for listening. Now back to the podcast. So what about um, running rehearsals? What's a good way to run a rehearsal? Okay. The first one is, I think, to start on time. And Now, when you say on time, because, you know, time can mean different things to different yep. people. I, I remember I went to Indonesia um, many years ago and they had a thing there called rubber time, uh, meaning that, you know, you say, let's get together at three. It's kind of could be anywhere from three to five. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And also there's a difference between orchestral musicians. If the rehearsal starts at three, then you're there quarter two three at the latest set up yep. ready to go so yep. what do you mean by starting on time well if the rehearsal is due to start at three thirty, start making music at three thirty. okay not three thirty-two. and the reason for that particularly with with students and, and someone will be running late some kid will walk in the door and be hot and sweaty because they've bolted down from science class or whatever other thing they had on just prior um, and that's okay we don't need to make a big deal of that just let them let them come and sit in when they're ready um but starting on time really will make the students understand, or the young musicians understand, that this thing starts at that given point. It's su- I think it's super important to just set up that if, if the rehearsal's called for 3.30, they're ready to play at 3.30. And if you wait for another five minutes or eight minutes or 12 minutes, the message we're sending to the kids is, well, yeah, it's 3.30, but we'll start when you're ready. Yeah, so you start at 3.30, you'll no start matter. When I'm ready. How many kids are there? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the first couple of rehearsals, you might have four kids there out of your 35. Two weeks later, you won't. You'll have 34 out of your 35. Once you start, I I always like to start rehearsals with something that the students can pretty much play. Uh, The first piece you do in a rehearsal should be all about building confidence. Do do you do some warm-ups like scales or anything like that? Um, Yes, but not not with every group. With with student groups, I do. Um, I think it's great to do some warm-ups. In fact, a friend of mine in, in WA is doing his, his doctoral um, thesis on the benefit of warm-ups. So he's doing three, he runs three different student ensembles. He's a, a school instrumental director. Um, he's doing like a control ensemble where they do no warm-up, no tune-up, nothing. They just walk in, start playing music. The next one he does, I think, a five-minute warm-up tune-up 
and the main one he's going to do a 15 minute warm up and tune up before every rehearsal and he's going to compare the progression of the of the sound of the ensemble over 12 or 18 months or something as part of his thesis and I'm really interested to read that it'd be probably one of the few theses I'll, I'll ever actually read I do a lot of guest conducting these days so I don't personally run a lot of warm up and tune up exercises um, I know lots of band directors do I think the key is to keep it simple make it short if you're spending 10 minutes tuning your young ensemble to a B flat it's 8 minutes too long a lot of pitch problems a lot of band directors are um, paranoid about kids who play out of tune mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of a good thing to be concerned about but not paranoid if we're focused particularly with ensembles full of kids let's say who are in their first or second year of playing maybe even third year of playing they're not going to play in tune fact you could spend an hour tuning them all to a b flat get them to play an e flat and it's wildly out of tune so my suggestion is not to spend half a rehearsal getting in tune spend the extra time if you normally spend 10 minutes warming up tuning up spend two minutes the other eight minutes Teach them about how to make a beautiful sound on their instrument, how to play softly and loudly, how to play, um, how to start together and stop together. Focus on breathing. Intonation will come later. It, it, it always will. Um, but we can't achieve good intonation unless we have the fundamentals of sound production. That, that's a fact. You can't have your ensemble playing in tune if the kids don't know how to make the sound correctly on their horn or, or on their instrument. But I, I think the important thing is to get them playing as soon as yeah. you can in rehearsal. And say you had an hour rehearsal, yeah. how many pieces would you typically work on? I, in an hour, I'd probably work on no more than three. And again, I'd start at the first piece I would do is something that they are 90% confident with. Um, I want to I protect the confidence of the humans. We have to remember that we're not teaching clarinets or glockenspiels. We're teaching Janie and Johnny. They, these are children. Um, or in a community setting, these are, these are adults who have busy busy lives. We have to remember that they have hearts and minds. So I always like to start with something that's going to build confidence. It might be how to train your dragon. It's something that they really like. They sound good when they play it. That's all cool. The next piece I'm going to work on is going to be the hardest one that they can't reach. Or they have to really, you know, it's a bit of, that, that's a bit of a slog. And, and so we do all our intense teaching in the middle part of the rehearsal. And then at the back end of the rehearsal, I want to finish with something, again, that they play pretty well. Never start a rehearsal with... A, a note or a sound production that they're no good at and never end a rehearsal that way. Even if it means you've got to go, you know, one minute over time, take them back through that last piece, just even if you just do eight bars, but make it eight bars that they play really well. Yep. And go, you know, make some comment like, see, you guys sound amazing. Well done. See you next week. Yeah. I love that sound. Yeah. Yeah, proud yeah. of you. Yeah. You know, such positive reinforcement can happen in there, even if it's been a bit of a struggling rehearsal, right? So it's the same when we're choosing repertoire to work on through the year. We have to choose some repertoire that they're going to achieve really quite quickly and quite easily because we want to boost that confidence to say, hey, I can play stuff. I can learn new things really quickly. Then we want to build in a couple of pieces that are going to take a bit more effort and a bit more time, and that's going to be a bit more rewarding when they get to it. And we want to have one or two pieces that they might not even actually achieve this year, and that's okay. But I was talking to a friend yesterday and said that it sounds like a pithy little saying, but excellence lives in the space between what we know and what we don't know yet. I think, you know, that delta, that difference there is is where we find excellence in ourselves as well as in, in student musicians. Yeah. So that idea of, of uh, pushing the students um, makes me think of 
competitions. Are there good competitions or band festivals that you'd recommend, or, or is are they not a good idea? What's your opinion on that? Um, competitive banding, as it's known, um, I, I think it entirely whether it works well for the student musician or not, or the community musician or not, entirely depends on the attitude of the conductor. I've adjudicated many times at, at different state band competitions and, and at nationals, um, both here and in New Zealand. And I've adjudicated a lot of festivals as well where they don't do point scores and trophies. Um, my personal preference is the festival model where the bands receive feedback and perhaps a grading, gold, silver, bronze or some iteration of that, yep. some variation on a the theme. I like it when the results are not made public. The, the particular festival I have in mind, which is a, a favourite of mine, is the Aboda, um WA Festival over in, uh, over in Perth. Um, the results, the feedback and the grading, be it, uh, it's not gold, silver, bronze, but kind of that. Um, uh, the results and all the feedback and stuff are written down and recorded and they're put in an envelope and the only person that ever sees it is the conductor of that group. So there's no name and shame. There's no, oh, this band was amazing, this band, yeah, not so much. Okay. There's great merit in just recognising it as a feedback opportunity, as a performance opportunity, as you know, some place to come together with a whole bunch of like-minded people to produce music in a performance setting. But we need to be careful of competition that we don't make people feel, our musicians feel lesser if they don't have their shiniest best day of the year. That's the risk in, in contesting. I certainly put my community band, I run a, a big grade community band in WA. We enter the state championships every year and we, and we play and we get a point score and either we get a trophy or we don't. But I make very clear to them that What's important is that we turn up, enjoy the experience, think about the fact that we're not playing for an adjudicator. We've got 250 people in the audience who've come to hear bands play yeah. live music. I mean, there's you know. nothing... I mean, I really think that at the end of the day, it's all about um, giving great performances and whether it's in a festival, competition, uh, for a school, in a school assembly mm. or a community event, doesn't really matter. I mean, we train as musicians to share the music. Yeah. And so I think that's a great end point yeah. to, to work for. I even and, used to say, sorry, just before we go on, yeah. I even used to say to, to the Navy band in Sydney and Melbourne when I was in charge of those guys, um, you know, we'd, we'd do three or four days rehearsal leading up to a concert and, you know, the, the, at the end of the last rehearsal, I would just say to the band straight out, you know, don't forget, folks, tomorrow, fundamentally what we're going to do is we're going to go to a place. We're going to set up, play some tunes. People are going to clap. We're going to pack up and go home. That's the process, right? And, and yeah. that's not to minimise the experience. It's just to let people know that this is just a normal part of life as a musician. That's what the process is, hmm. particularly as a pro player where you're doing that 40, 50, 60, 100 times a year. It's a great way to just to sort of keep it real. Hmm. Now, for school uh, music teachers who want to really develop their school band or get something going, getting the support of the local school community, of the principal and all the different stakeholders is hugely important. Mm -hmm. So... What would you say to, say, a music teacher um, to, to give them, I guess, some ammunition to kind of go to the school principal or go to the school community about the benefits that it can bring to students? Um, I would certainly, if, if you find that you sort of need ammunition, that's an interesting way to, way to put it. I, I agree some people feel that they do need ammunition. Um, I would start with Dr. Anita Collins's Better, better Bigger Bigger, better brains. Yep. Sorry, I always get the bigger and better mixed up. Bigger, better brains. Um, uh, Dr. Collins' research is 
really fascinating. She makes it very digestible um, for non-musicians to understand. It's deeply based in neuroscience. It's not just an artist talking to another artist about art, which is very esoteric sometimes. Very, ab- you know, we're happy and comfortable living in the abstract, but. Um, perhaps a science or a major or an engineering major or someone who has trained as an accountant in a school administration team perhaps doesn't like and doesn't get the abstract. Um, We can't assume that because we're happy living in the abstract and understanding these vague ideas of sparkly things that an administration team's going to get that. And I think Anita Collins, uh, Dr Collins, has done a great job of bridging that gap um, her stuff is accessible. Jump on Facebook. If you haven't seen Anita Collins' stuff, Bigger Better Brains, jump on Facebook, have a look at her stuff. It's amazing. That's where I would start. Mm. I, I think her research is irrefutable. It's peer-reviewed, um, and it's about brain wiring and how and, and neuroplasticity and what effect, positive effects on the um, neurological development and behavioural development of young people particularly. Mm occurs simply through the use of instrumental Yeah, it's music. been interesting over the past few years how Anita and, and other researchers have, I guess, more formalised those ideas. I think as musicians, we've all instinctively known of those benefits, but now it's, I guess, more formalised. And finally, Matt, what's uh, your top tip uh, for band directors running a successful school band? Um, the, the top tip would be conduct the band that's sitting in front of you, not the one you wish you had. I see a lot of bands as I travel around um, and I hear band directors say, oh, you know, my band's really good this year, we're playing grade four music. And I turn up and I hear them not playing grade four music but being made to struggle through grade four music. Maybe grade three music would be better for them. Maybe it's not about being able to say to your other band director mates or that, you know, competitor school down the road, well, my band's a grade four band. You know, when it's not really. We have to consider the the student. And it sounds weird to say that because I guess the assumption is that all band directors think about their kids all the time. And there's a strange desire to have the best band in town. Um, And sometimes I think we just let that run away with us a little bit. Um, You know, if you're you're digging for music at the right level, and by that I mean sort of 10% too hard for your kids, but not 20 then you're going to be developing them much more effectively. And in time, you might end up with a grade four band. You might not, but that's okay. If we keep them as the focus and, um, and just make sure that we're pushing them at the right speed, pushing them down the road, then I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, great. Great advice, Matt. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to stay up to date with our latest episodes or visit Musico, spelled M-U-S-I-K-K-O.com to listen online. This episode is sponsored by the Nick Parnell Percussion Academy, which specialises in providing high-quality percussion resources such as vibraphone and marimba hire to schools and students. You can find out more at nickparnell.com. We've got more great content on the way of the Music Teacher Survival Guide by Musico. I'm Dr Nick Parnell. See you next time.